Hey everybody, Mike Dempsey here. It's NFL playoff time, and you can still win playing Underdog Fantasy by picking higher or lower on player stats at underdogfantasy.com. Sign up with promo code 1010XL, and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. Now, get ready to spend the next two hours with our three sports-loving ladies, Lauren Brooks, Taylor Dahl, and Mia O'Brien. This is Helmets and Heels. Driven by Tire Outlet. Brought to you by Underwood Jewelers. And First Coast Lighting and Fans on 1010XL. Well, ladies, we are fresh off of the AFC and NFC Championship games. And surprise, surprise, the Chiefs are headed to the Super Bowl. Little maybe surprise on the 49ers Mm -hmm. if you were watching that game start to finish. I feel like people who picked it up in the second half were probably like, what in the world is going on? (laughs) The Lions are up 24-7 on the Niners. Uh, But let's start with the Chiefs and the Ravens. Mia, I know you guys have talked about it on XL Primetime. How is it that Todd Munkin only dialed up six runs for the Lamar Jackson-led Ravens running backs? How is that possible? Contrary to what some of my colleagues on that program have suggested, I don't think Todd Munkin was vying for a head coaching job, trying to show off to the world that he was some sort of genius. I just think for whatever the reason, and despite – all the metrics that suggest if there's any way you're going to penetrate that Chiefs defense, it's on the ground. We mm-hmm. saw that week one of the NFL season, that Thursday night game, mm-hmm. when the Detroit Lions were running for five yards a clip. Despite all those metrics suggesting that the run game may be your only avenue to success because of how good that secondary is, he said, we're going to take our chances with them. And we would rather test Trent McDuffie than Chris Jones. and. On paper, um, I would probably say that Chris Jones is the more formidable of the two, Mm -hmm. but watching ball, um, it's reality that Legereus Sneed, Trent McDuffie, Mike Edwards, what those guys have been able to do in the back end in Kansas City over the last two to three years has been nothing short of remarkable, especially given that so many of those guys are homegrown. Sneed was a third-round pick, and so that's what I think happened. For whatever the reason, they decided that this was the better gamble, and uh, that did not pay off. No, it, it certainly did not. Sorry. No, go ahead. It just doesn't it doesn't make any sense because I feel like on both accounts when you look at the strengths of both teams, it's the opposite and I feel like one of the things you talk about all season too, which we talked about with when it comes to the Jaguars is consistency and when you have something that is successful as in the Ravens run game mm-hmm. for the season and entirety and you you abandon it and the conference championship game it's just wild to have 16 rushing attempts half of what the Kansas City Chiefs had in that game when that is what is supposed to take you to that next level and that's what's been able to help you be successful and then opening up other situations and to just abandon it almost completely is just there's no excuse for that yeah I mean I think obviously the Chiefs defense was the star of the show you Mm -hmm. can talk about how great Mahomes is and he is and certainly Travis Kelsey his greatness as well But at the end of the day, I think the reason the Chiefs won is because their offense didn't score a point in the second half, but they didn't have to because the defense was so incredibly talented. And they dialed up the blitzes over and over again, and that got to Lamar Jackson, certainly. And the fact that the Ravens also had the eight penalties for 95 yards, Mm -hmm. you're not going to win a lot of championship games with those kinds of numbers. But the Chiefs knew, keep the ball away from Lamar. That Mm -hmm. is the key, certainly, to this game, in addition to blitzing him a ton. And at halftime, they had the ball 20 minutes and 39 seconds, yeah. the Chiefs did. The Ravens had it 9 minutes and 21 seconds. Just at halftime, I feel like that was kind of, you know, the not just the, the biggest story, 
but it was the smartest thing the Chiefs did. Mm-hmm. The lack of a response to all the blitzes that Steve Spagnuolo was dialing up to was fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. If they're blitzing, if it's hot, you got to get the ball out quickly. You got to abandon the pocket quickly. I don't care how good your offensive line is. If they're bringing five or six and you only have five, <laughs> you need to get the ball out. And that's what was just so perplexing is so, okay, maybe the, the game plan dictated and then you fell behind. Mm-hmm. that. So you take the two, marry them together, and you're like, okay, Lamar needs to throw the ball. Fine. Okay, cool. Why is he standing back there for six, seven, eight seconds? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I understand there are those that are now questioning his processing ability, but, mm-hmm. like, I, I understand also that – in this new iteration of Lamar, he's not supposed to run quite as much. But something's got to give. Yeah. Like, does it not? Just based on what the defense is giving you. Well, and it was interesting, too, because the week before, I felt like the first half, and I remember tweeting it, like, they are all over Lamar Jackson. But their halftime adjustment switched everything, and I don't think they touched Lamar in the second half in the divisional round. They could not figure it out this last week, and that goes to, you know, that attests to what you just said of Kansas City's defense being the winner, the major winner in this game. Were you guys surprised that it was a 17-10 final, or were you expecting it to be lower or higher scored? Uh, it was definitely the under. Yeah. It was surprising. Yeah, I was surprised. For sure, yeah. I thought, I didn't think fireworks necessarily. Uh, I didn't expect, like, 34-31 like we got later. Uh-huh. But I would say, yeah, I thought the winner would certainly be 27 points, somewhere yeah. in there. So, yeah, I was shocked when we got to the end of the game being like, that's how this thing (laughs) finished. I mean, for all the talk about, yeah, Mahomes and Lamar and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the week before, Taylor, what you're talking about, Peter King had a story of Lamar Jackson talking to Todd Munkin at halftime and saying, all right, the Texans are sending more blitzes than they normally do. Like, according Mm -hmm. to analytics, they don't normally do this. So I've got to get the ball out faster. And so they kind of changed up the offense for the second half. It didn't. If they did that, this yeah, game, work. it sure didn't work, uh, or it certainly didn't seem like it. Well, and obviously the Chiefs saw that too. They saw what, how the Texans mm-hmm. were succeeding in that, and they said, you know, they figured out a way to be able to do that for four quarters, and that's what got the Ravens in this one. Yeah, and Mia, the other stat that I come back to: the Chiefs have scored consecutively eight opening drives in postseason games. Eight games. Eight first drive touchdowns. And like, that, that is unbelievable. After they went, what, three or four games without scoring on their opening, or like I think it was their opening drive and perhaps in the first quarter. In the regular season? Yeah, in the regular season, like that stretch where they lost to the Raiders, mm-hmm. which now on Christmas Day, which I know now they're pointing to that as like the turning point mm-hmm. when they were like, we got to figure this out. Um, and then not to mention, if you even go back to the victory over the Dolphins in Germany, they didn't score in the second half of that game either. And there was a stretch there as well where they just sat on leads yeah. that weren't even that insurmountable just because their defense is a lot better than anyone gives it credit for, mm-hmm. gives them credit for. And, you know, like my aunt was complaining to me last night. This is fantastic. Of course, classic New Jersey. Couldn't get over the fact that Isaiah Pacheco only makes $900,000 only, but still only mm-hmm. makes $900,000 and essentially gets into a car crash once a week in an NFL football game. And Tommy Cutlets, Tommy DeVito is making more than a million. It's not <laughs> fair. Well, how about the fact that Patrick Mahomes, and granted, greatest player on the planet right now, um, is making, what, 40-plus million? Mm-hmm. And rightfully so. But then you have Isaiah Pacheco, who I think is so equally important to the success of this offense, and especially in those stretches there where they were just kind of sitting on leads. But because they can run the ball and they have – you know, they're opportunistic when it comes to third down. 
they've been able to close out games. Yeah. Well, the NFL is crazy. Tommy Townsend, the punter, makes two point six million. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right, like, and yet Brock Purdy, he makes more than Brock Purdy does. Yes. Yeah, who makes eight hundred k. Right, but it's all just structured based off of obviously when you get in the league. Well, and if if Kansas City wins again, it's just another name to the long list of the recent Super Bowl winners whose running backs made under, I think it's like $3 million or something. There hasn't been, maybe one or two in the last like 10 made more than that. And that's why people have started taking less value in the running backs because of situations like this. If the Niners win, obviously that's a little bit different because it's Christian McCaffrey, but. Yeah, I, I would expect he makes uh, well more, more than that. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, uh, getting to that game, the Lions 49ers. So when the Lions scored first, and the way, obviously, that the first half went overall, I never was like, all right, they're definitely winning. But I was like, okay, I, I think they've got this. Like, mm-hmm. if they just play smart football because they're able to run the ball in the second half, the key, obviously, being in that sentence, smart football, uh, <laughs> then I, I think they can take down the 49ers because the 49ers are built to play from ahead. And so when you got to the point where it was 24-7, it was like, all right, I don't know that they can come back from this. But the moment that Jameer Gibbs fumbled – and the moment that IU caught that ball, it was like, oh, this now I immediately thought Kyle Shanahan is going to have this miraculous comeback and the 49ers are going to the Super Bowl. Yeah. It was that simple. Yeah. It honestly is those two plays. Like it yeah. shifted all the momentum. And for a team that is predicated on the run, and that's with all due respect to Brock Purdy, mm-hmm. that's just how they're built. That's why this notion of they can't play two scores down because do they have enough time to run the ball? Like, it was handed to them. They had the opportunity where they had enough time on the clock that they could get back into this ball game by running the ball. And so that's why Dan Campbell, you know, was is going to be highly criticized. He will continue to be highly criticized for not taking the points. Not that it would have been a guarantee that Badgley makes those 48-plus yard field goals because I think he was, like, batting 45% from, out, from that far out. Um, but if it's a three-score advantage – then that means more clock time mm-hmm. for for the for the 49ers in terms of you know if it if it takes you 6 minutes to march up and down the field but now you got to do it 3 times and also get three get two stops thrown in there mm-hmm. that's 18 minutes roughly you know like i'm just throwing out a number there that's a lot more difficult than when you turn it over deep in your own territory so that's yeah. a shortened field and then also now it's only a one score game and that'll give them all the time in the world because it was midway through the third quarter. Yeah, it's really interesting because I saw stats probably like two, three weeks ago about Jared Goff and how Jared Goff has some, like, all of the best numbers in the fourth quarter in the league, like first in completion percentage, first in yards, first in touchdowns, almost every statistical category. But the games where they've lost is when Goff gets rattled and makes some mistakes in the fourth quarter specifically, and we kind of saw that. And it wasn't like he turned the ball over and that the the fumble obviously wasn't on him, but a lot of incomplete passes. They weren't as accurate as they were earlier in the game, and I don't know if that's because he starts getting a little panicked and because he's getting, you know, a little uh, pressured a little bit more. Bosa had got to him a couple times uh, in the second half at that point, and so – I feel like there's a little switch with Goff that when if you can get him to that level where he's maybe forcing some things that he didn't have to early, it flips. And this, it, that's kind of what we saw in this game. And because when you turn over on downs twice, and obviously that's on um, some coaching also, but you fumble it, turn over on downs, punt, like that is not the fourth quarter that you need or second half that you need. And that's the thing, like football, especially when you're playing a team – 
that's at home and they're the ones trying to have the comeback. Like the momentum is on their yeah. side. And that's where I think, yeah, why Dan Campbell's always going to be criticized. It makes sense. They went fourth on fourth down 40 times this season, the mm-hmm. second most in the league, right? And that's the, I saw the first most was the Panthers, and it's not like the Panthers were this great team. They had to keep going fourth on fourth down because yeah. at one point their kicker got hurt. Uh, but before that, I think, too, they just were trying to help Bryce Young out. They were kind of running out of options. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They were down by 20 all the time, not yeah. really helping Bryce Young out, but hoping they could help him out. But I think at some point, though, you have to recognize the situation you're in. And mm-hmm. momentum now, you are literally handing the 49ers momentum on a silver platter, and they're way too talented of a team mm-hmm. to not just take that and run with it. And so I felt so bad, though, for the Lions and for the the 90-year-old who mm-hmm. we all have gotten to know throughout this postseason <laughs> who has had season tickets for the longest time, yeah, right, since guy. 1957. I saw this stat. Detroit has not won a playoff game on the road since 1957. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's before the so, Super Bowl's current like, iteration. I mean, that's the craziness. And so, as Jaguar fans, we always talk about how hard it is to be one and all those imagine things. That. But the Lions have really—I mean, I, I can't imagine waking up Monday morning uh, as me, a Lions fan. This yeah, week. me either. And I—I I even because I mentioned the last week that I was like, I don't hate the Lions, obviously, because mm-hmm. because of that situation. It's almost like. Kind of, I guess, how Jags fans are for Texans. Like, you don't hate them the way you hate Tennessee and the right. Colts because it just hasn't been that – they haven't beat you the amount, the same amount and all of those other factors that kind of go into yeah. the, those games. Um, but I did find myself in this game in the fourth quarter cheering, like, aggressively hard against the Lions. And I was like, oh, it's in oh. there. <laughs> it's in there. I know what you mean because when the Ravens play the Texans, I was like, it would be a good story for C.J. Stroud and yeah. thing. And then eventually like, it was Never like, mind. no, no, I really don't. I really don't need them uh, in the in the AFC Championship game. Look, the, we talked, we praised the Kansas City defense. So I feel like on the flip side, the 49ers defense did not play well in the first half. They certainly played a lot better in the second half. And the Lions defense didn't play well. They missed mm-hmm. a ton of tackles. And so it, it's those situations. It's not all Dan Campbell's fault. Yeah. Certainly the mm-hmm. team at times mm-hmm. let him down. And there was that that missed exchange between Goff and between, or sorry, but yeah, between Goff and Gibbs. And the two Reynolds drops, too. And the two drops were right. huge. Yeah. Uh, Frank That's said not this, Dan Campbell dropping the ball. Right. Frank said this yesterday. Dan Campbell let Josh Reynolds off the hook. Because yeah, if he had it focused so much on him yes, after that, yeah, if he yeah. had elected to kick the field goals, whether they were made or not, you know, maybe the situation's different. But either way, we have Chiefs. Reynolds is probably like, thanks, coach. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because what game was it? Uh, well, we know the Colts um, game when they lost at the regular at the end of the regular season to the Texans. There was that guy, and I forget his name, but the Gardner Minshew had the fourth down, and the guy was open, mm-hmm. but the oh, guy yeah. dropped it. Like, oh, it was actually uh, good old Tyler Goodson from the yes, University that's right, of yeah, Iowa. Yeah. Goodson, so. Like, your heart just broke for him, and it was great. I saw, like, he actually talked to reporters post-game and things like that. Zay Flowers, like, you wanted to feel for him in yeah. the going back to the Ravens game. But the taunting, I feel like, kind of took people's, you know, heartfelt uh, appreciation for it. Yeah. Eh, with that one, I just – you couldn't deny the fa- fact that, yes, the taunting penalty wasn't great. He's a rookie. They also were number two in the league in penalties accrued this yeah. season. So mm-hmm. that came back to rear its ugly head. But Zay Jones, or Zay Jones, who Zay was Flowers. the Ravens? Zay Flowers, alas. Uh, Zay Flowers accounted for 97 of their 116 receiving yards at the point of that yeah. penalty. Yeah. So, like, we can criticize the antics all we want, but they are not in the position to, uh, you know, make it a one score game at that juncture if mm-hmm. not for him. 
Yep. And the Lions did the same thing because C.J. Gardner-Johnson was doing his little wave at halftime. And I'm like, that was I can't stand smart. him already, but yeah. that's just like the type of guy he is. He likes to irritate people. But I was like, that didn't look good because you still, you weren't even at halftime yet. No. Uh, <laughs> oh, and the other one, I was trying to think of all the ones. Like My heart literally like hurts when this, these things happen. The Packers kicker, when he oh, missed yeah. the field goal. Oh, it that was, was like, fun. <laughs> yeah, you were excited. I, I think of these people as, you know, humans with emotions, and it just hurt my heart. All right, when we come back, we'll review our impact players in the AFC NFC Championship games and a whole lot more. You'll listen to Helmets and Heels, driven by Tyrell at Untention XL on 2.5 FM. Helmets and Heels, driven by Tyrell Outlet. Brought to you by Underwood Jewelers. And First Coast Lighting and Fans on 1010XL. Taylor Dahl is here, Mio O'Brien, JJ LaSilva, and Lauren Brooks. All right, before we get to our impact players, could someone tell me and fill me in on what's going on with Kadarius Tony? At first I saw he was out due to an injury slash personal reasons. Then I thought I saw Kadarius Tony said that was all false. Like, what exactly is happening? He here? also welcomed his first child into the world Saturday. Oh, okay. So yeah, there's been a lot of plot twists. Don't worry, you're not you're not behind or anything. <laughs> it's it's been a very strange <laughs> road. weird as many things with Tony have been. Yeah, that's um, also true. Because he came out and they said injured and he was like, no, I wasn't injured. Right. And then they were like, but you were injured. <laughs> so I don't know what that means. But then but he, he was at practice. Play. Yeah. yeah. But then he, but he's at practice. Yeah. So but he was I think they're just tired of him dropping the ball. I mean, th- yeah. So he's Bears did out. that with Chase Claypool last right. year. Like just yep. secretly we were kind of bit that's like. true. I remember that. Yeah. He's but there's been, always drama. He was out yeah. a couple games because of a hip injury. Yes. And then. I would equate it to Shaq Griffin in, in the same okay. Chase Claypool kind of. I don't know. We may see him play in the Super Bowl because we know he played well in the Super Bowl last year. Um, but then you couple that with the birth of his first child. And so it was like, well, he's got to be there Saturday. So he can't be in Baltimore Sunday. And uh, yeah. And then he apparently went on Instagram live Sunday night and was like, I'm not hurt. I'm not hurt. <laughs> They're lying. So, so I, don't, I don't know. Yeah, really. it's very weird. It's very all, weird situation. It's all, yeah, difficult because it's like I feel like most athletes, I mean, I'm not I shouldn't speak for most, but it seems like they'd be like, yeah, I'll be at the birth of my child on Saturday and then I'll get a private jet thanks to the owner of my company right. yeah. and I will be there for the AFC Championship game on Sunday. If he was mm. that I feel like there was right. a Philly player who did that like just a couple years ago when they were in. It was like a big thing cuz he literally left from the game to go to the hospital yes. and like just made it, but I, I can't that. Was it Ertz? No, I don't know if it was Ertz, but there definitely like was somebody. Years. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And it's those Florida guys. Yeah. <laughs> but either way, uh, I, I'm guessing he won't play in the Super Bowl at all. Uh, I guess we'll stay tuned for those storylines. All right, we are going to review our impact players that we chose for this past weekend's games. Taylor, I'll start with you. You had Chiefs quarterback Patrick Mahomes. Well, I did a good job because <laughs> he won. I was trying to do my reverse jinx, but um, – I instead picked the winner. Um, but, I mean, Mahomes is Mahomes, and I think it's one of the situations. There was never a moment where I thought Patrick Mahomes was going to play bad in this game. Like, that just wasn't going to happen. He did only have one touchdown, <laughs> so <laughs> there's that. But I think he was like 30 for 39 or something. He's he just – he's insane. And I saw this set, too. Uh, he's the first quarterback ever to play in six consecutive postseason games without throwing an interception. That's like every quarterback gets rattled at some point in time, or not the right. maybe they're not rattled, but they throw it to a player and the player bobbles it yeah. or tips it. The or, little fluky plays still happen right, somewhere, right? Like uh, obviously the uh, Purdy to Ayuk, like that mm-hmm. pick, that ball should have been intercepted. Yeah. But yeah, in fact, speaking of Ayuk, that was my offensive impact player. 
Uh, I think he did a fantastic job. <laughs> he made a play that him. I'm not sure many people would have made because they would have eventually been like, oh, that ball was picked or I've mm-hmm. you know, not kept their eyes on the ball. Uh, but yeah, he's been he's been really impactful the past couple of games for the 49ers. Did he, you see his reaction to not getting like the number one play from over the weekend? No. He, he posted a video because they had the number one play, the Lamar tipped where he uh-huh. caught it. And that was number one and he had number two. So it shows number two and he's like, I'm number two. Like, who's not, who had a better play than I did? And then it showed him. He's like, oh, hell no. And I liked how people were making fun of, uh, not making fun, but like teasing Giselle, Tom Brady's ex-wife, because she, she at one point famously tweeted out, like, my husband can't throw the ball and catch it himself. <laughs> They're like, so everyone was okay, like, oh, well, well he's actually, the goat. <laughs> Lamar can and did. Uh, Mia, you went with 49ers wide receiver Debo Samuel. Yeah, and, you know, there was a question mark of whether or not he would be able to play in mm-hmm. this game. Yeah, and he was 50-50 the week before. I know Coach Campo was a little worried with his pick because he was like, man, if Debo plays, then I'm picking the Niners. If he doesn't, I'm picking the Lions. And um, it came to fruition that he did play. He ended up being the leading receiver, eight catches for 89 yards, three carries on the ground for seven yards, so maybe not quite as much of a factor in that run game, but made catches when they needed him, moved the chains. For whatever the reason, he is the cog in the machine that it needs to properly turn and chug its way down the field. Yeah, I think that's uh, well said. Ayuk, by the way, three catches, 68 yards, and then he, of course, had that one touchdown. And J.J. went with 49ers quarterback Brock Purdy, who surprised me by the use of his legs, J.J. Yeah, he looked great in the second half. Um, proved a lot of doubters wrong, I'm sure. Next step, Super Bowl. That's right. I, I saw this uh, the other day, Brock Purdy saying that he's been watching Patrick Mahomes since, she, since he was in high school. So this is very cool that he gets to play against him. How old are we <laughs> <laughs> that he was in high school and Mahomes entered well, the league? let's do the math here. I mean, I know he's a second-year quarterback and all, but still. Well, mm-hmm. technically, I think he means his college. It, it, like he was he watching said high him. school. Well, he was watching Texas Tech, I think. Maybe. Because technically, Brock Purdy's first year as, uh, as a true freshman and the starting quarterback at Iowa State was in 2018, which was the first year that Patrick Mahomes was a starter. Yeah, true. Well, then that's only four years apart. So I guess 2017, when Patrick Mahomes played one game, he watched the one game. He watched one game. And he was in high school. (laughs) I don't think we listed my defensive player. No, we have. We did offensive all around the table. Now, Taylor, we will get to your defensive player, 49ers defensive end, Nick Bosa. Yes, because I I was trying. I was going to double jinx and I was like, never mind. I can't. I'm going to put Nick Bosa in this. Um, I think he had a great game, Bosa. One thing I will give credit to for the Lions is how well they've built their offensive line, though, because, and especially Panay Sewell, I don't think... He is a beast. He's insane. I don't think Bosa had, when he was lined up across from him, didn't have one pressure, and that's why they pushed him over to the other side, and he gets two sacks after that. But it's just that line, and it just shows what to do, what happens when you build your trenches um, the right way. But... Yeah, I, I mean, he had a couple sacks, I think four QB hits, uh, several pressures. So Nick Bosa is just one of those guys that, are, uh, to me, are so fun to watch. And obviously, I wanted the Niners to win, so that was fun. Absolutely. I went with 49ers linebacker Fred Warner. I just think he is one of the best uh, yeah. in the entire league. He had nine tackles in total, four solo but it's more about he just knows where to be. And that's what I was about to say. He's one of those guys that you see in almost every single play. Absolutely. In, in some form. When and we saw him in person, it was like, oh, my gosh. He's this everywhere. dude is fast yeah. and physical. He is everywhere. Like, you, if you could clone him. And we love 
Foyer Lucan, don't get mm-hmm. me wrong. Right. But Fred Warner just, I mean, he, and when he hits you, ouch. Uh, I want <laughs> ouch. no part of that. Uh, Mia, you went with Chiefs linebacker Nick Bolton. I did. A um, little bit quiet of a day in the stat sheet. Four tackles, one pass defended. We'll get to that in a second. A lot of that, though, was because Willie Gay did exit this game, mm-hmm. and so a lot of the linebacking responsibility, uh, you know, telling, lining everybody up, the green dot, all of that went to Nick Bolton as the middle linebacker. He usually has that role, but obviously having Willie Gay on the field kind of helps. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I am curious that, you know, you know, Brock Purdy is not as mobile as Josh Allen or as Lamar Jackson, so in terms of a spy, it'll be curious to see how the Chiefs' defense lines up in the Super Bowl, also knowing – the reason Nick Bolton had that pass defense is they had him lined up on Zay Flowers at mm. different points. Um, he did have a pass breakup. So, yeah, I mean, he did. you know, he also got burnt for a nice touchdown and <laughs> a couple other times, too. So, I'm going to be very curious how Steve Spagnolo designs this defense. Again, part of that was because they were bringing five, six every single time. And yeah. so, that put even more pressure on Bolton to have guys lined up and to be a part of that back end. And so, yeah, I mean, he's at the heart of a defense that, again, I don't think they get enough credit for what they've been able to do. Do you think they'll do the same thing for trying to add some pressure on Purdy? I think so. Because oh, I, I you know th- he's not as mobile, so you don't have to worry about that. But I he has so many they, weapons to he go does. to. I still think they have to have some sort of spy, though, because mm-hmm. I think that's what the Lions defense showed you, is if yeah. you don't, you are going to get burned. And, and Alex Anzalone, who occasionally would try and do it, he's, mm. not, he's not good enough to do it. You could argue, and I know plenty of our listeners were on the text line saying this yesterday, that like the Niners are the only one of the final four that didn't have a top five interior of their offensive line. Mm-hmm. Um, they're obviously they have two great tackles, um, or at the very least one all-pro in Trent Williams. Mm-hmm. And so that's where I wonder if the Chiefs – think they can get more pressure with four up mm-hmm. the middle. Inside. And that's that's no knock on the Niners' interior of their offensive line, but it's just not, you know, the marquee names that you see, you know, on the Baltimore Ravens with, you know, Tyler Linderbaum, who's really taking the next step in his yeah. second year. Um, some of those other guys, uh, Kevin Zeitler, who, who's, you know, being named to the Pro Bowl again this year. And so um, I, I think that that's the part that'll be intriguing to see. The whole thing is going to be fascinating. Mm. Like, I cannot wait. I know we have to wait, and we'll pick our impact players for the Super Bowl next week. But, like, Kyle Juszczyk is a guy where mm-hmm. he's such an X factor for the 49ers. Mm-hmm. And the way he caught that one ball when Purdy almost Toe drag sacked, swag. Yeah, yeah, I mean. From a what, fullback, baby. Right. Like, what fullback is able to – I mean, there are no other fullbacks, but you know what I mean. James uh, Coleman, we, we still appreciate <laughs> you. Don't you worry. But literally, like, the NFL, the NFL has moved away from a fullback and yet, here's Kyle Juszczyk, who's thriving in mm-hmm. that 49ers system. And yes, that catch that he made with his toes was just incredible. When the 49ers line him up and they look like they're going to run, is that what they're going to do with McCaffrey? Or or does Purdy run? Or are they going to completely try and fool the Chiefs? Yeah. And are they going to get too fancy to try to do that stuff like that? Like, it's just, it's so fascinating, I think, all the different uh, elements of the Super Bowl. And, and look, I feel like at the end of it, we're going to be talking about Literally an instant classic. Mm-hmm. That's what at least, that's what I hope. Like, yeah. I hope it comes down to who has the ball last. Yeah. Uh, but the Super Bowl often doesn't. So I know. that's a shame. But we got to uh, hope. That's what, real quick, because just yeah. what you were, just what you were saying, I saw somebody breaking down uh, a few of the Niners plays from this last weekend, because obviously the argument has been like, is Brock this good or does Brock have so much surrounding him that it's yeah. making him look better? And I feel like manager that'll be, I, I feel like a conversation for a little while, but eventually people are going to have to either accept or things will get exposed and we'll find that out probably 
maybe Super Bowl, maybe more next year. But someone was breaking down a lot of Brock's plays and how comfortable he is. Uh, you can't deny that because th- he went through and there was a couple plays where Debo, one specifically, Debo, Debo ran the wrong route. And the guy was calling it out. He was like, he was definitely supposed to go right. And instead, he kind of turned into the midfield and there was nowhere to go with it. So Brock, I mean, not, no hesitation, like goes through his progression, one, two, three, find somebody open. But you have those people that can be open because there's only so many people you can cover at one time. But I think what you do have to credit him for is how poised he stays in those situations because it's definitely not easy when you have some of the guys that the Chiefs have coming at you and quickly. And the pocket was collapsing as this was happening too. Yeah, absolutely. And then on the flip side, you've got the off-script plays that Patrick Mahomes makes, Mm -hmm. especially to Kelsey. I mean, they do things that – most offenses can't do like the plays breaking down. Okay, this is not scripted whatsoever, but yeah. oh, it's a completion for 21 yards. Yeah. <laughs> and that's those are just backbreakers, obviously, for a defense. Yeah. So I really think like it, we, while I think a lot of us were cheering against the Chiefs, certainly me included, I'm, I'm tired of their success uh, and cheering for the Ravens. And I was cheering for the Lions too, just because I, I don't love every player on the floor. Like I don't love George Kittle. You love George Kittle. Yeah. But either way, like in the end, what we got was Chiefs 49ers, and I think the NFL is thrilled by this. Well, because it's arguably the two best teams over the last four or five years. Mm -hmm. And this is, you know, like, and I I hate to put this on, like to turn it back to Brock Purdy, but after that Super Bowl in 2020 in Miami, Kyle Shanahan said, Jimmy Garoppolo can get me to a Super Bowl, but he cannot win me one. Mm -hmm. There are also plenty of folks who believe that Hey, um, Kyle, you were leading much of that game. Maybe this falls at your feet, that you didn't run the ball, that maybe the the style that you opted for in the second half opened the door for Mahomes and company to mount a comeback. And so this is going to be, I don't want to say a referendum, but like it's all going to come full circle now. And it's going to say, hey, the way that these two teams went, because also don't forget on the Chiefs side of things, Tyreek Hill was on their roster back Mm -hmm. in 2020. And ultimately, their front office said, we could keep Tyreek Hill or we can take the the treasure trove of picks and the increased cap cap number we will have because we're not paying him and build up an elite defense. And so I think that's what's going to be so fascinating to see is did those decisions, did did those bets that they hedged Mm -hmm. actually pay off? Right, absolutely. And I feel like if Mahomes and the Chiefs win – the conversation will be not just about the whole Mahomes versus Tom Brady and all that. Like, that's certainly a conversation, but that's been already discussed and that'll be continued to be discussed as long as Mahomes plays football. Yeah. And eventually, potentially, eclipses the six Super Bowls or seven, seven that he has, six the Patriots. Yeah. So he has to get at least seven. But I think the bigger storyline is going to be that how Mahomes elevated everyone around him, yeah. not named Kelsey. Mm-hmm. And obviously, how much longer will Kelsey play football? If the 49ers win the trade to get McCaffrey, is going to be, I think, a massive storyline. Yeah. And also that they have more weapons. They yeah. have George Kittle and they have Ayuk and they have Debo and they have Juwan Jennings and the list goes on and on. And I mean, that and Juszczyk, I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. like that, how do you want to build your roster? I mean, they're, and they, the 49ers also have some really talented defensive players just yeah. like the Chiefs do. So that's all I think going to be, as we always compare it to the Jaguars, what's the best way to go about it? Last year when we had the conversation, the Jaguars, Compared to the Chiefs and the Eagles, A, we thought the Jags were much closer because they had just barely lost to the Chiefs in Arrowhead. 
But moreover, we knew that this, the sack numbers by the Chiefs and the Eagles were the best in all of the NFL. Mm-hmm. So that's what all, one of our biggest talking points all offseason was, was the Jags have to get to the quarterback. They've got to you know, pick up. We all thought they would get at least a, one free agent to address that uh, edge rusher situation. Mm-hmm. But alas, a year later, the Jaguars are farther than we thought, and there was no free agent pass rusher. <laughs> there was not. They did have more sacks, though. But they did have more sacks. Very good point. Not interior-wise, though. That's where the issue. Absolutely. That's for later. (laughs) All right, Taylor will take us around the NFL when we come back. You are listening to Helmets and Heels, driven by Tarletland on 10 XL 92.5 FM. Helmets and Heels on 1010XL, driven by Tire Outlet. Brought to you by Underwood Jewelers. And First Coast Lighting and Fans. Welcome back to Helmets and Heels, driven by Tyra Outlet. Me, O'Brien, Taylor Dolge, Jill Silva, and Lauren Brooks. So I have a quick funny story uh, specifically for Taylor because we mm. talked about this bar that, so friends of mine uh, was going to do, we were doing a little girls' night this past weekend, and one of my oh, yes. friends owns some property in Salt Springs. JJ, by the way, that's kind of near Ocala. Have you ever been to Salt Springs? Absolutely. Okay. Have you ever been to Cactus Jack's? Yes. Okay. Well, then you'll. you'll... It, uh, it's in the middle. It's not in the middle, but it's in the forest, probably like 20 minutes from where I live. Okay. Yeah. So I looked on the map when we were headed down because I'd never been to my friend's property. And I looked on the map and I was like, it looks like it's in the Ocala National Forest. <laughs> like, I don't. How is a bar inside? But yeah, I guess it's like right across the street. Um. So we are able to walk from where she. So this is her, like I said, like little probably two acres worth of property, has a house and a uh, place for their boat. It's great. And so we're able to walk to from her place to the bar and back. But anyway, this is the point of the story. So, and since you've been to Cactus Jacks, you may appreciate it even more, JJ. So the best line of the night is not one person, but multiple people come up to my friends and I and ask if those were our real teeth. Oh, like what? multiple, di- like not together, but like different people just came out. And they're like, "Are those all? Like, are those really all your real teeth?" And we were, <laughs> we were all like, "Yes," but like, is this like, are y'all playing a joke on us? I don't understand. They but all gathered bl- and they're like, "Let's mess with this." That's what I think exactly what yeah. they're doing. Like, they don't, they're not here all the time. Like, that and so, so it was really funny. I'm gonna defer to JJ on that one. In yeah, there. I can't believe you went there. Is this normal behavior for uh, for that? <laughs> yeah, this is in, for that. The middle of the woods. It's, yeah, like it's I don't know there. why you drove an hour and a half. Well, to we go were to staying. We were staying at my friend's place in Salt Springs. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. I, so I, she I lives that very part. close. Yeah. So that was like that's the bar that they go that's to. That's the only bar. Yeah, it is the only bar. Absolutely, and they had a band. And I just assumed because of where we were, it would be country and yeah. I would be loving life. It wasn't? No, it was like 90s rock, oh, which is fine. I, like that. I knew it. Yeah. But I was like, come on, man. Like, <laughs> yeah, because in- when you told me that's where you were going, I was like, that sounds super familiar. And I would always pass it when I would go to my grandma's house. And I, I was always like, man, I really want to stop there. <laughs> it looks like you'd meet some interesting people at that place. And we absolutely did. I, of course, got laughed at because I asked for a glass of Chardonnay. And they were like, this wow. type of bar, I know. <laughs> this type of bar is not going to have Chardonnay. Of course they had Chardonnay. So way to go, Cactus Jacks. If anyone else goes, I hope you would have an absolute blast. All right, Taylor, what do well, you have for have some us? barefoot there. Yes, oh, yeah. exactly. I think it really was a double <laughs> bottle of barefoot. And you know it's good wine when it's the double bottle. Oh, yes. The full oh, yes. Okay, so NFL, uh, I want to take a little look. Kind of a recap of the season as now it's kind of over, obviously, the Super Bowl, that's it. Um, because every year we talk about the teams that 
the the change in the playoffs from previous season to this season. How many teams didn't make yep. it, former years, and all of those uh, different statistics of that. And so I want to talk about that, and I have a question of which of these teams surprised you the most um, of the ones that did not make the postseason this year compared to last year. Okay. So that's Bengals, Jags, Chargers, Vikings, Giants, Seahawks. Repeat them, sorry. Bengals, Jags, and we obviously know why the Bengals, but right. Bengals, Jags, Chargers, Vikings, Giants, Seahawks. You also know the Vikings. Um, yeah. The Giants' demise didn't surprise me. The Seahawks kind of coming back to equilibrium did not surprise me, although they, I would equate them more to the Jags, even though they were a little less injury bit, uh, snake bitten, just because I, I think they had the same record that they finished with last year, just it was good enough for a wild card yeah. spot one year and not the other. Um, for me, the surprise was the Chargers just mm -hmm. because of how bad and how quickly things devolved yeah. in Los Angeles, and that, that's not a victory lap with regards to big brain Brandon Staley. Like, I just – couldn't believe that a roster with that much talent yeah. lost that many close games, which that has always kind of been their thing, but to the point that it resulted in just an absolute massive regression across the board. Yeah. I mean, I think obviously you look at the teams that had the quarterback injuries. So mm -hmm. the Vikings, I think, would have made the postseason with Kirk, Kirk Cousins, Cousins yeah. being healthy. The Chargers, I don't think even with a healthy Justin Herbert would have made it this year because, of, like Mia mentioned, the head coach did them no favors. The Bengals, the only reason they missed, I think, was the fact that Joe Burrow was hurt because he was hurt to start the year yeah. and then got hurt again. But the Jaguars, Trevor Lawrence, while he was injured at different points of the season for a lot of the end of the season, at no point did the Jags lose him for an entire few games or anything like that. But injuries aside, I predicted the Jaguars would have the number one overall mm -hmm. seed in the AFC a year ago. Uh, so I'm going to say it's the Jaguars yeah. not making the postseason. That's they did the for like four minutes. They they came. <laughs> yeah. They, well, I think they would have had it. Forty minutes. They would have had it. They window finish. Yeah, they would have had it had they beat the Bengals. But again, Jake Browning. Uh, In the time it took team. me to get from NRG Stadium onto my flight home, <laughs> yeah. uh, that was when the Chiefs won, and then yeah, there went that number one overall seed. I think for me, I think I have to say the Chargers, just because a team going from 10 wins to 5 wins, when you didn't really lose, it's not like they lost anything. Nothing. Yeah. They were the same roster. <laughs> it's just, you have virtually the same roster, the same quarterback that we consistently talked about Ever, you know, ever, the argument a lot this last offseason was who's better, Herbert or Trevor, who's going to be better, who has the higher ceiling, all of those things. And everyone or a lot of people put Herbert maybe not on that top because usually it's like Mahomes, Allen, Burrow probably, and then right below that. But you had everything that you had the year before, and you had five less wins, and it's insane to me. And part of it, too, is – that this had to be the year for them. Yeah. They are about to enter quite the cap situation, yes. which, by the way, I do want to give the Chargers their flowers, um, have hired Jim Harbaugh since we were last on the air, have also hired Joe Ortiz as of last night out of the Baltimore Ravens organization to become their GM. He's a guy who, way back when, we're talking 2019, 2020, like I said, the Jaguars should go after him. Um, so a great hire there. Um, but it's going to be an uphill uh, uphill sledding for them because mm -hmm. yes you have your quarterback yes you have these young pieces but there's a lot of money due and yeah. it's going to get ugly they're gonna have to say goodbye to some people whether yeah. that's Khalil Mack whether that's Joey Bosa whether that's Derwin James whether that's Keenan Allen Mike Williams Austin Eckler who's been begging for a new deal for it feels like eons yeah. like that roster is not going to look like what it has they pushed all the chips to the middle of the table for 20 
23, mm-hmm. and they won five games. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm very disappointed if you are a Chargers fan. Um, so which of these that made it this year that didn't last year are the most surprising? Texans, Texans. Browns, <laughs> Steelers, Rams, Packers, Lions. I picked the Texans to win seven games, so that's, yeah. Go you picked the Texans too? I did, yeah. Mm-hmm. Texans, Browns, Steelers, Rams, Packers, Lions. The Rams, I, Rams is the answer yeah. for Mia. Cause yes. the Ram, Mia, I remember yeah. saying the Rams would be in the hunt for the number one overall pick. Yep, mm-hmm. I did. I mm-hmm. firmly believe mm-hmm. that I they were. That. I believe. I do remember that. They too. were tearing it down. They were going to keep Caleb Williams in LA. I firmly believed it, especially with all the speculation of Sean McVay potentially stepping away. Yeah. Well, get ready for the second act because, <laughs> uh, I, man, oh man, I mean, mm-hmm. for a team that hasn't had a first round pick since 2016. Crushed the draft, insane. found insane, insane value in the third to fifth round on, you know, on day three, especially with Puka Nakua. Yeah. And credit to Sean McVay and credit to Matthew Stafford. Stays healthy. Mm-hmm. He's able to mesh with these young cats. Don't forget, they didn't have Cooper Cup in the early goings of the season either. Yeah. That's where I was like, ha-ha, fool's gold. Just yeah. you wait. They're about to revert <laughs> back. And no, it never happened. So, yeah, the Rams for me were well, the surprise. And I remember all of the rumors before the season about how Matthew Stafford wasn't connecting with his rookies and, like there was a disconnect ah. and he was yeah <laughs> that story and then were they tricking us <laughs> were they because the Classic Rams LA had media. some great rookies not just Puka Nakua but yeah on defense too they they drafted well yeah I think for me it's the Texans because knowing them as well as we do since they're in the division I just thought there was no way that a rookie quarterback a first-year head coach and the fact that they were picking so high in the draft I mean, because we've been through that here, I just didn't think that they would be successful right away. I thought eventually C.J. Shaw would be really good. But I thought they had too much to rebuild. The offensive line wasn't great. Uh, The running back situation ended up being okay. But you weren't sure going into the season if they were going to be able to run the ball behind that offensive line. I didn't think they had great weapons as far as receivers were concerned. And I thought they still needed to rebuild a lot of the defense. Well, I was wrong because (laughs) C.J. Stroud – Basically, didn't throw an interception his rookie season. I know he threw a couple, but not yeah. very many. And the news just came down that Bobby Slowick is staying in Houston as the offensive oh. coordinator. He Dad got a uh, pay raise, and so he will not uh. be accepting the head coaching position in Washington. Apparently, nobody wants to work there. Um, yeah, I, I, which is crazy because they got rid of Dan Snyder, they cleaned house, and now all of a sudden no one wants the job. Well, you don't I, have a I will coach the Washington <laughs> Commanders. <Yeah. laughs> I volunteer as tribute, just like I did the Atlanta Falcons, who were interviewing everyone from your grandmother to your neighbor down the street last week. But the Falcons <laughs> at least hired someone, yeah. although people were a little surprised. Yeah, we'll get to hire, that, I'm sure, but, at some point. Yeah, uh, But I think, with Dave Canales, but I think the the commanders, I mean, the fact that Ben Johnson was like, no, I'm good earlier today when they were en route to Seattle, like, something strange is going on there. Yeah, he apparently released a statement. I don't have it in front of me, but kind of was like, yeah, my wife and I talked about it, and we love Detroit. And it's like, hey, right. so, listen, you bet on yourself last year yeah. that you guys would go, do one better. Absolutely. You did. You made the NFC title game. So, like, I'm not going to bet against this guy. But yeah. at the same time, like, hello, look at Byron Leftwich. Where is he? Does anyone know where he is? Two years ago, he was one of the hottest coaching candidates in the National Football League. So you can't guarantee your window of opportunity for a position, a job is going to be out there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I will say, I never make fun of other cities because I feel like Jacksonville gets made of made fun of so much. Like, I've never been to Detroit, so mm-hmm. I'm not going to sit right. and laugh and be like, oh, how on earth could you ever want to stay in Detroit? Mm-hmm. Like, he may not like Washington, D.C. for all we know. Yeah. 
Either he way. is from North Carolina, so maybe it's yeah, you it's know, small town, a little mid middle oh, really. mid Atlantic rivalry. I yeah, don't there know. you go. Yeah, I think with him, it is an interesting one because you had a year where. And even Dan Campbell in his press conferences were like, it's not easy. Like, your windows are short in the NFL to win for a lot of teams. And he kind of even said, this was probably our shot. It's going to be hard to get back here. Um, but maybe that's why. Maybe they've had enough conversations where they're like, hey, if you stay, like, we can get there. Um, because he was. He was really good. There was a lot of Bears fans who were obviously upset that he did stay. But – um, I think just for me real quick on the surprising, mm -hmm. I almost can make an argument for any of these other than the Lions because I had the Lions. Right. I thought they were going to be good in the beginning of the season. But obviously no, questions about Jordan Love, questions about we mentioned the Rams, we mentioned the Texans. Um, but to me, I almost even want to say the Steelers because Trubisky, Mason Rudolph, Kenny Pickett, I, I feel like – Yes, we talk about Mike Tomlin, but I just felt like they didn't have enough there, especially in that division, because you felt like you had a feeling the Ravens were going to be good. In my head, Joe Burrow would be there all season, so the Bengals would be up there too. And then you were kind of expecting a better season from the Browns. You didn't expect it to be the way they it was, but you felt like it would be better. So for me, I was completely shocked that they ended with the record they did and were able to slide in. I fell for the George Pickens, Kenny Pickett preseason hype. <laughs> so I picked them to go to the playoffs. George Pickens is really good. And now Arthur Smith is going to have him yeah. in shackles yeah. just like he did one Kyle Pitts. <laughs> and he's going to be throwing it to some random fullback instead. Yeah. Looking at you, Darnell Washington. The offense runs through you now. <laughs> there you have it. All right, when we come back, we will talk about the hometown team, the Jacksonville Jaguars. You're listening to Hummus and Heels, driven by Tarlett on 10 x on 92.5 FM. Stilettos and Sabermetrics. Helmets and Heels, driven by Tire Outlet. Brought to you by Underwood Jewelers. And First Coast Lighting and Fans on 1010XL. Taylor Dahl, Mio, Brian, JJ LaSalva, I am Lauren Brooks. Taylor, you have one more NFL question for us? I do. I have a few of the bigger storylines from this season. Okay. And outside of Jags world, because obviously here that's the most important to us. So outside of the Jaguars... If I were to, I'm going to go through this list of headlines, and I want you guys to tell me which one you think would, when, we look, when we're in the future and we're looking back and be like, do you remember in 2023 how wild this was? Because this happened. Okay. If one of these, or if you have your own, uh, because obviously a lot of things happen this season. So I'll go through a few of them. Um, Aaron Rodgers gets injured immediately. That was wild. I'll still, one. I remember exactly where I was when it happened. Yes. Uh, Deshaun Watson gets injured and Flacco saves the season for the Browns. Wild. Wild, especially because it did affect the Jags. <laughs> yes. Uh, Mike Tomlin gets another 10-1 season with Trubisky, Pickett, and Rudolph. Uh, water is Raisiness. wet. <laughs> <laughs> Lamar Jackson, uh, another MVP season. Mm -hmm. um, and let's just say, feel like maybe the season was his stamp of like, hey, you can take me seriously mm -hmm. for the future. Um, C.J. Stroud's rookie season, Baker Mayfield resurgence in Tampa, Panthers sell all of their good players, uh, draft a quarterback and pretty much abandon him, and the quarter <laughs> and the owner throws a drink on somebody and fires the entire coaching staff. <laughs> yeah. Pete Carroll and Belichick end their time coaching for at least TBD. Mm -hmm. um, or if there's another one that really stands out, what do you think when we look, let's say, in five years when we're like, man, do you remember 2023? This, how By crazy way, was this? I would throw in Gardner Minshew. Yeah. 
And the fact that once Anthony Richardson got hurt, he was able to step up and then make it to the Pro Bowl. Yeah. But I think as far as in the future, at least in my opinion, I think C.J. Stroud is so good that in five years we'll look back and be like, he was good right from the get-go. So his rookie season, we may not see another one like that uh, for a very long time, if ever. So that's the one that I think, especially because it, again, affects the team here. Mm -hmm. But I think overall we'll look back. And not that it was – I guess a lot of people did think he'd be really good, but it's almost impossible to be that good that quickly in yeah. this league. It has to be Aaron Rodgers <laughs> because I have never seen a man. Says the New Jersey girl. Well, no, but also it's like we all were subject to him. Like it didn't matter where you were. This man wasn't playing football for the last five months, but we had to hear about, That's oh, he true. may come back. Yeah. He's on McAfee today. He's at practice. And this was after we had the hard knocks experience and the trade drama and mm-hmm. everything else we've had for the last two years. Yeah. It all built up to this one moment. And all we have from it is him running with the American flag on September 11th through the tunnel and then two handoffs and then an injury. Like, <laughs> that's it. That's it. Like, that's, that's, all was, it that's all there is. And so now... What's going to be so fascinating is they're running it back. Speaking of teams that are running it back, Mm -hmm. they're bringing everybody back. No one got fired. No one got let go, basically. And they're trying to bring the whole roster back, too, because they are convinced that they built this thing around Aaron Rodgers, and if he can just play Aaron Rodgers football, the Jets will actually go to the promised land. And it's it's just, you know, he could get hurt again. I don't don't wish that upon him, but, like, then what happens? Like, you, know, you better have a good backup. The defense could regress. No yeah. offense, Zach Wilson, but I don't know that he's the answer right. in that regard. What's the wildest one to you? I don't, as I was going through, because I just kind of started typing things that were popping out, and I was like, oh, that's another one. That's another one. Um, I I kind of want to say the Baker stuff just because I'm interested to see moving forward. From what I'm hearing from Tampa fans, they want to roll with Baker oh, and absolutely. keep going. Right. So we'll see how that pans out, obviously, in a couple years. But I do think that's going to be one of the things when we're like, man, do you remember that year? Like, quarterback-wise, some wild things happen. It's going to be more of a grouping, I think, of that. Like, Watson gets hurt and Flacco played and Rodgers got hurt right, right, right away. Baker Mayfield comes in and kind of has his, like, I'm back year. Um, all I think it's going to be more of a combine. And I, I go back to, I remember in 2017, all the, like, back at that point, we thought we were seeing some things happen with Blake Bortles, obviously. and But I remember now you see memes where you're like, this was really the conference championship because it was Nick Foles, Case Keenum, Blake Bortles, and Tom Brady were the four yep. quarterbacks left in the in the conference championship round. So I'm, I'm interested to see in 10 years what we are talking about when we're saying Brock Purdy, Jared Goff, Lamar Jackson, and Tom Brady. Like, cause I've, I mean, Tom Brady. Uh, <laughs> Patrick, Patrick Mahomes, pretty much Tom Brady. Yeah. Um, Tom Brady and Lamar, I think, is something that for a very long time, like, we'll be able to talk about. But it's going to be interesting what we say about Brock and Jared in 10 years. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Mahomes, uh, I assume, will still be playing in 10 years. And Lamar would expect they're both around the same age. The other two are younger, so you really would expect them. Uh, Is Jared Goff still playing with the Lions? I do think that had the Lions beat the 49ers, had they finished off that victory, and had they made it to the Super Bowl, that would be certainly a wild story oh, in yeah. the fact that, obviously, the Rams traded Goff away. They didn't think he could win them a Super Bowl. He goes to the Detroit Lions and at least made the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Like, who knows? I doubt they would have beat the Chiefs just because I think no one can beat the Chiefs at this point in time. They've proven <laughs> me wrong time and time again. So, yeah, I do think that would have been a wild story. There's a lot to choose from, though. You're absolutely right. 
And obviously here in Jacksonville, the, the biggest storyline or the biggest question I think now is how far is the Jaguars roster away from the two teams that are in the Super Bowl? Mia, yeah, I'll start with you. But to me, the interior of the offensive line we've talked about a ton, you compare that to the Chiefs and the 49ers, I don't think there's much comparison. The interior of the defensive line, the Chiefs, really good there. The 49ers mm-hmm. aren't quite as good there. They have much better outside guys. Uh, but overall, how far close would you say the Jaguars roster is to these two teams? I mean, let's put it this way. It's a low bar to clear. It still is one of the best rosters that this team has had, if not the best, in, in the shot con. <clears throat> Excuse yeah, me, very in the shot con. Lo- very low bar. Very low bar to clear. Yeah. But that's the truth of the situation, mm-hmm. is that it is the best roster that they have assembled in quite some time. And while they're not going to be able to completely run it back, like they did this past offseason, number one, because financially I don't think they're going to be able to, and number two, because clearly you have to rework some things, and yeah. so maybe that was a good wake-up call. Um, I, it's tough because I think when you look at the rest of the AFC, the Buffalo Bills are going to be facing some cap questions. You look at the Titans with a new head coach. You look at the Colts, and now they'll have Anthony Richardson back. You look at the Raiders, a new look there. The Chargers, a new head coach there, but it's still Justin Herbert. But again, the cap hell that we mentioned that they're going to be going through. And so I don't really know what everyone else is going to look like. And so that's where I can't really determine where the Jags fall. And not to mention, I mean, again, I'm not wishing injury upon anybody, but who's to say if C.J. Stroud doesn't break his ankle in the first game of the year? You know, like Mm -hmm. no one saw that coming for Aaron Rodgers with tearing his Achilles. And so that completely changes the complexity of the AFC East race and so that's where like look it's a better roster than it was I don't know if it's good enough to compete with the best of the best because then again I thought the Ravens had the best roster in the NFL in the AFC and the Chiefs with arguably the quote-unquote worst roster around Mahomes in his tenure just used their championship DNA to pull past them and pull past the Bills too yeah and I think Taylor all of it comes down to really the not all of it, but a lot of it comes down to the quarterback. Yeah. And is Trevor Lawrence going to be able to ever be as good as Patrick Mahomes or Brock Purdy have been mm-hmm. in order to get their teams where they are? Yeah, and I think that's a big part of it. And we, I think when you are building where the Jags stand right now, we saw this last year with, and I mentioned this on Twitter too, about how both teams, as in the Lions and the Jags, ended with nine wins last season. The Lions came back this season with, only it was like 11 or 12 of the same starters. The rest were different. And that's after nine wins. They missed the playoffs, yes, so they knew that they were a little short of being right. on that next level, but clearly got better this season and almost in at every spot. I remember people judging their draft, including me at certain points, because I was like, you just signed David Montgomery. Why are you getting Jameer Gibbs? That looks like it worked. Obviously, Laporta looks like that worked. Uh, there's their branch. Oh, that was a familiar name we were talking about here. And so there was they went and they said, hey, we yeah, we won nine games and barely missed the playoffs. But there's a lot of improvement to still be made in the season. I wouldn't be surprised if, honestly, the Lions did it again, even reworked some other things of where they kind of fell short in certain situations this season. And that's the one thing when it comes to like what the Jaguars need to do is don't build your roster hoping that maybe C.J. Stroud gets hurt. That's not going to work. And banking <laughs> on development of your own roster. Yes, you have to get guys that are – and it sucks sometimes because you do grow some attachments to some players sometimes and when they have been on the team for X amount of years. And all of those things start to factor in for fans because we are fans also as we're talking about them. But at the end of the day, 
you should not stop improving your roster. And when you're looking at what they did last year to this year, that's why there was this drop-off. So to me, I think they do still have a decent amount um, to go before they're at the level of this team. And I think a, a five-game lose streak tells you that. Uh, you can go back and talk about all these moments of missed field goal here and blah, blah, blah. But you can do it on the opposite side of the ball, too. There's probably other teams that lost to the Jags this season that were like, man, we are two plays away from actually being able to win that game. Yeah, the Texans hit the crossbar. Yes. Well, the kicker did. <laughs> and, yeah. those, and so in those situations, you don't want to constantly come down to that. You want to be one of the teams like how the Chiefs and Niners are. Yes, we saw the Niners lose three straight uh, this season, but what they were able to do after that was improve game by game, and they realized what wasn't working those three games and changed it. The Jags did almost the exact opposite. <laughs> yeah, and it's not always just about roster. I mean, you yeah. do obviously you want the very best roster you can possibly come up with but a lot of it's about scheme mm -hmm. that's offense or defense and play calling certainly offensively yeah. if you feel like you're not where you need to be that needs to improve and Andy Reid is is so good at it Kyle Shanahan is so good at it Doug Peterson is so good at it but he wasn't calling plays this mm -hmm. past year so do they look at all that there's a lot obviously with a new defensive coordinator who we talked about last week there's a lot that has to improve and it's not just the specific players but mm -hmm. certainly developing who you have picking really good players, adding to your roster and free agency, but also tweaking the offensive and defensive schemes. Yeah. All of that factors in. By the way, hour and 11 minutes into the show, there's one name I haven't mentioned whatsoever. This is Helmets and Heels. I feel like the people are clamoring for me to mention her name. We know. Oh, well. I, I was not. Okay. I I'm that. looking right at you, Taylor. <laughs> I suppose I have said the name Taylor, but you I have said not said Taylor Swift. <laughs> Uh, do you feel like the NFL and Roger Goodell were just so happy that Taylor Swift's boyfriend made it into the Super Bowl? <laughs> Taylor Swift's boyfriend. <laughs> I mean, it, I definitely, you see all these things about, I, I'm i weird because I already wasn't a big Taylor Swift fan before. Like, I was already, like, uh, she kind of annoys me. So that's why it's lingered into this. For Now it's lingered into the football world for me. But whatever. It doesn't, like, hurt my feelings when they show her on the TV. <laughs> but... All of the things that you're reading about how now little girls are like watching the games with their dads because, yes, for Taylor, but then you find them, they're asking questions because they're like, hold on, like, why'd that happen? Or why is she cheering in this moment? And those, so there are, this has broadened it into certain areas that probably wouldn't happen if it wouldn't have been so much Taylor. Um, but I, I'm sure they love it because Taylor gets attention. So the Super Bowl is probably going to have crazy numbers because people are just going to be watching for her and Usher. My best friend, literally, I was like, Oh, you know, we have a Super Bowl party. Do you want to come? She was like, yeah, what time does Usher play? <laughs> I was like, well, hey, some people are music oriented. <laughs> Who's to say that doing a throwback artist doesn't pull at the heartstrings and get those ratings up too? At first I was like, Usher? Like, when was the last, like, mainstream Usher, like, hit single? But hey, pulls, pulls at the nostalgia yeah. of our age group, and, oh, yeah. and here we are. Yeah, I'm sure at some point someone wanted to ask the question, like, can Taylor Swift, just do that. Well, did you see the conspiracy show? now? That no. that's now the conspiracy that was floated. Well, she couldn't do it because uh, she knew that Travis would be in the uh, Super Bowl. Well, There's a lot of conspiracy theories yeah, going around out there. Those are always a, a bit funny to me when it comes to sports, just because I don't really think. I mean, there are times that I think the officials do a bad job. But I don't think it's because of conspiracies. All right. Uh, we've got more to do. Well, we've got our highlights on the other side. Keep it right here on 10 to next on 92.5 FM. Helmets and Heels, driven by Tire Outlet. Brought to you by Underwood Jewelers. And First Coast Lighting and Fans on 1010XL. 
couple segments to go here before we turn it over to Rick Ballou. We've got our highlights coming up right now. JJ, take it away. Florida's Will Richard one-handed dunk versus Georgia early to make it 8-2. And it off Thomason trying to get loose top of the key. Another steal for Richard. Three on one to pull it on the break. Love for the rim. Alley-oop dunk tomahawk style. Thrown down by Will Richard. Nick Bosa with his second sack of Hiday on Jared Goff as Niners begin their comeback in the second half. Formation. This time it's Dan Skipper who's eligible. On a fake. Pressure on Goff. He's in trouble and Bosa's got his second sack of the day. Iowa State seals the deal on an upset win over number seven Kansas. Here comes, here comes. Shot clock winding down. Gilbert fires. Convicts on a three. Broken play. Waiting for Gilbert. Yeah, but Raph, I think this was the same play they wanted at the end of the half. Instead of throwing back to Momchilovich, Gilbert no kept it. So my highlight, I think mm -hmm. most people could guess, came from the Florida Georgia men's basketball game. That was Will Richard, who has had several really good games, although turned the ball over a few too many times against Georgia. Uh, but Florida was able to hold off uh, Mike White's Georgia team and won in overtime. Were either of you watching live when the game was going on? Mm, a little bit. Okay. Because I, I was calling the UNF game in a little yeah. bit. So, so I was like in and out. Florida was up by 21 points oh, yeah. in the mm -hmm. second half. Looked It really looked in the first half like they were going to run away with it. And then mistake after mistake after mistake. And Georgia came up big when they needed to, especially a guy who I had never heard of, Blue Kane, Mia. Blue Kane came up large. Oh. Also, R.J. Melendez uh, for Georgia put up Is this like come Four. off the bench? Correct me if I'm wrong. Michael. Melendez comes off the yeah. bench. I Blue Kane, I'm pretty sure, does too. Yeah. He this sounds like, like he should be in a movie. Blue former Kane. Florida Mike White is yes. in Georgia now. That's right. Yeah, oh. so my, when Mike White coached Florida, the men's – A, he followed Billy Donovan. So okay. those are hard shoes to fill, clearly. Yeah. But B, he his offense oftentimes was very stagnant. Mm -hmm. And guys who would come in as fairly good shooters – would get worse under mm -hmm. his tutelage. Now, he's a really good defensive coach, so a lot of people speculated that he spent way too much time on defense and yeah. not enough time practicing shooting. Who knows in the end what it, what really the thing was. A lot of people thought if Keontae Johnson never got the, you know, the had the heart issue that Mike White is still the head coach of Florida cuz Florida at that point would have made a really deep run, all mm -hmm. these things. In the end, there was so much hatred towards Mike White in I remember Gainesville. <laughs> he has I think it's five kids. That and they would come home from school and be like, This little kid said this to me, and this Aww. little kid said, this. I know, really sad stuff. So eventually, he and his wife were like, We can't live in Gainesville anymore. And he voluntarily quit his job and took a head coaching position in Athens in the same conference. How has he been at their rival? How That's has right. he been at, at Georgia? I would say mediocre. I mean, Georgia's not like a very good basketball what? program, so fairly good for Georgia standards, but okay. as far as like. They're not making the tournament. Yeah. Okay. But it's, it's kind of hard like for Georgia to, to do so. When we said about the Jags with that low bar yeah. earlier Georgia in the program. Yeah, Georgia has a low bar. Yeah, it's a very low bar to clear. Okay. But Tom Crean, who was extremely su successful by many accounts at Indiana and Marquette, mm -hmm. couldn't clear that bar at mm -hmm. Georgia. He was able to bring in top recruits, Anthony Edwards among them, mm -hmm. but never able to actually make the tournament and make a run and put together a, a team. And that's why for Mike White, he, he he scheduled a pretty easy non-conference in his first year last year, and it was the first time they had 10 wins by the end of December in, like, school history. 
But then, of course, they got into league play, and, you know, that's when reality kind of set in. Yeah, and the SEC didn't used to care that much about men's basketball. Mm -hmm. But my thought process is they realized how much money they can make in men's basketball when the NCAA tournament and everything like that and March Madness. And so they've started putting more resources into it. Plus, they just have an overflowing amount of resources, so why not put it into something? Uh, But in the end, of course, like Georgia fans, if they're listening, are like, we don't care. We'd rather crush Florida in football. (laughs) We don't care that much about men's basketball. Uh, But in the end, yeah, that's the story of Mike White. He and his family just did not want to live in Gainesville anymore. And I often wonder, I'm not saying Billy Napier is going to voluntarily leave his position and go to another school necessarily, but I have been wondering with all of the hot seat discussion surrounding Napier, like I wonder if his kids are feeling it at school. And I, I hope not. Because uh, I think that should, you know, be much more of an adult conversation and people yeah. should be nice to each other in the grocery store and things like that. But at the end of the day, we know how fans are and how crazy they are. Well, I, rem- uh, I remember back in 2019, 20, 2020 maybe, uh, when fan- Bears fans were showing up to Matt Nagy's kids' football games, mm-hmm. chanting, like yelling mean things at the kids and yes. chanting fire Nagy. And I'm like, that's inappropriate. Agreed. Inappropriate. Yeah. Let's leave that for... Uh, football games so do you guys do you like golden i like golden i've gotten to meet him since we've done the show down in gainesville before the spring game the last couple years and he's come and sat with us both times he's really smart really basketball smart but also just really smart really Mm -hmm. personable i think his his scheme is great i love all the three-pointers and if he got some even better shooters i think they'd be even more successful Mm -hmm. Uh, i like so pretty much I, i really like him i don't know if the way he's going to have to get guys out of the transfer portal year in and year out and have constant turnover. Yeah. I don't know if that'll end up working, but that's mm-hmm. the way it seems like a lot of college basketball is these days. Yeah. And so, so far he's done a good job, uh, but it's not like Florida's ranked in the top 25 either. Yeah. You might need the guy from Austin P that we were talking about earlier. Just bring his whole team. <laughs> so I, I'm prepping for doing the JU game mm-hmm. tomorrow night. And I'm, I'm looking at last year's meeting between the two and I'm looking at the box score and I'm looking at the players that scored for Austin P last year. And and then I go to this year's roster and one's not there, two's not there. I'm like, wait a second. They got a new head coach, right? I'm like, okay, so new head coach came from Northwestern State. There's 12 guys on a roster in college basketball. Six of the members of the 12 scholarship player roster at Austin P this year came from Northwestern State oh. with the coach. There is one player left. From last year's team. I wish I could say that surprises me. Yeah. But it doesn't. Like, it's honestly way more surprising when, after there's a coaching change, that players stay. I mean, obviously, we've seen mm-hmm. it with Alabama going from Nick Saban to Kalen DeBoer in the football realm. But it's certainly in college basketball. There's just so much turnover. So, yeah. So, I like Golden. Uh, mm-hmm. But I think time will tell. Florida cares a ton so much about football. Men's basketball certainly is second, mm-hmm. but I don't know that Florida fans are like, oh, he's on the hot seat. Like, I don't get that sense, even though he and Napier were hired at the same time. I don't get the sense that, yeah. that people are ready to fire him. At the very least, he plays a more entertaining style Absolutely. of basketball than Mike yeah. White, and yeah. so that's kind of glossed over. Yeah, I mean, when you're over. scoring mid-80s is kind of the average. Like, people love that. Yeah. And the style of basketball, too. I mean, they are a lot bigger this year and more athletic, longer and all that stuff. So when you watch, for instance, this game against Georgia – Within the first few minutes, there's, I think, four dunks. Like, that didn't happen last year. And then, like I said, you got to make it from 3-2 in the free throws. 
need have needed to improve, but Florida was certainly better than Georgia at free throws. All right, Taylor, your highlight was from the 49ers Bosa. game? Mm-hmm. We, we talked about it earlier, but yeah, that was the second sack by Nick Bosa. Um, and that's the moment where you really felt like things started to shift. I think it was still 21-7 or 24-7, something like that at that point. But from there on out, it was almost all Niners. And I think that when you look at plays like that, they almost go under the radar sometimes on how big those plays actually are because they stop drives of possible moments where Lions could have scored again and that would have put it out of range most likely. And uh, a play like that where Goff is losing 10 yards and, you know, you're at that point, Niners get the ball back. And so I think plays like that are just – I love a good defense because that's all I've ever had in Chicago. Um, <laughs> and so I love it. Um, but that's why – I was trying to decide if I wanted to do that or if I wanted to do the Lamar reception uh-huh. <laughs> of his own um, because that was just fun to me. But, yeah, went with Bosa. I like it. Mia, yours was a college basketball highlight. Yes, Iowa State prevailing over Kansas. Bird, Ian Eagle on the call. I was catching up with him last night, one of his first ever trips to Iowa and the great state. And, of course, uh, Ames, Lames, as some call it. But Hilton Magic is real, folks. Um, Iowa State is now 7-0 and in its last seven home games against top 10 teams. Wow. That is absurd. It's I now I believe it's now up to – 15 or 18 home winning streak. And like, that's something that we talk about with regards to Cameron indoor on the football side. We talk about it with Tuscaloosa and it's at Ames, Iowa at Hilton Coliseum. And it's real and it's spectacular. And I don't really know how they're doing it. Um, They've always had Kansas's number for whatever the reason when they play at Iowa state. Um, It just has kind of been a trend of sorts. I don't know if Bill self just like combusts as soon as he like, sees hickory barbecue and then just is like okay we can throw this one i'm just kidding um so yeah so it was a great game um iowa state pretty much led wire to wire but in that particular play they did cut it to two with a minute to go and then iowa state hits a three and that's it but what was also interesting so it was it was ian eagle and then bill rafferty of course on the call and the two of them will be a part of the final four broadcasting crew this year with jim nance stepping back a little bit but jay wright was also on the call with the two of them and he's Quickly moving up the the rankings, I think, for, you know, could he be a, a guy in the booth, a former coach of sorts? And, and it just brings to question Nick Saban, Bill Belichick, all the criticism of Tony Romo right now. And so I'm curious, yeah. y'all, you know, you guys, your, your take on, like, what, how we're, like, why some former players and some former coaches were, like, we need to put them in the booth, and mm-hmm. others were, like, you're washed, you don't know the game anymore. It was. It's interesting, and I had this conversation with you on yesterday about Tony Romo because I was out watching the game, so I didn't hear the play-by-play, but I was hear, seeing everybody complain about Tony Romo on Twitter and on whatever social media. And so I was inter- I was asking me, I was like, what exactly, like, was he just that bad or people just over the way he does it? And I remember when it first, like those first couple years and everyone was like, this is awesome because he's like predicting plays and he ha- he was like, he was telling you kind of what was happening right before it happened and then it would work and you were like, okay, like this is kind of fun. But I had a feeling the farther he got away from football, the less he was going to be able to actually do that and it connect because obviously – Offense and offenses are going to, going to continue to change. So how much are we even – I mean, we're already seeing it, obviously, but in 10 years, is Tony Romo going to be able to do the same thing with he, when he's not fresh out of the NFL? And I think it's like that for maybe or in play-by-play in general. Uh, you see, I think, certain players at work because their style's a little different, but the way guys like Romo do it is 
that trying to connect with what's actually like about to happen rather than just like an analysis of why it happened. Yeah, to me, he was just incredibly generic. Um, and I, I used to really like him. Yeah. And, and I, whether he wants to predict the play or not or just analyze it after it happens, like I'm good with either way. But I would compare it to Greg Olson and compare him to Greg Olson. And I mean, there was a point in the 49ers-Lions game where Greg Olson was breaking down the special teams and he was explaining why this line of people, these were the all blockers and this line of people were all gunners. Mm -hmm. And there was a reason for that. And I wasn't paying close enough attention to remember it now. But I remember thinking in the moment, like this is analyst or this is analysis that we don't normally get. Like that is how locked in and keyed in he is. And Meanwhile, Romo, the quote that I keep joking about, like, the ball matters more in this game than in any other game. Like, the football, when Lamar Jackson fumbled. Like, what are you talking about? Like, a four-year-old could come up with, like, yeah, don't turn the ball over, right? And so that, to me at least, like, were my biggest takeaways is Romo seems to be coasting on the early success that he's had, Mm -hmm. and Olsen seems so incredibly dialed in. Yeah, Yeah. And, and I think that part of what has been lost is that camaraderie between Jim and Tony, and... I think they're still golfing. I think they're still friends. So I'm not sure if it's Jim slowly pulling away from various responsibilities because he does want to spend more time with his family. I don't think so. Um, I saw somebody say that I guess he did like a basketball game or he did golf or something like the day before or two days before or Mm -hmm. something like that. And like, oh, you know, we gave Jim a lot this week or maybe it was said in jest. Um, But you don't feel that same camaraderie of like, yeah. They're sitting with Tony and Jim at the bar anymore. Like, yeah. I, don't, I don't know what happened. And that's where I think, you know, to bring it back to the to the highlight, like, that's why people were going nuts over Jay Wright because they were like, oh, my God, it sounds like, you know, this two-time national championship coach is, like, sitting in my living room mm-hmm. talking to me. And you have Rafferty, you know, yelling and he's like, onions and, like, all his, like, funny quirks and yeah. stuff. Um, but then you have Jay Wright, who's, like, the smooth operator of yeah. sorts. And then, like, a midseason basketball game. Like, that's the thing with this. We're on a conference championship game in the NFL of who's going to the Super Bowl. So you would expect a little more out of those ones. And if someone who's calling a midseason college basketball game can give you that energy, you'd expect the, the best guys to do it. Yeah, like, I should walk away having learned something mm-hmm. from them broadcasting. And I certainly felt like I did with Burkhart and Olsen. And that's the kind of sad part is now that team, it seems to be done and Brady will step in. I'm not saying Brady won't be great. I'm sure he will be. But I feel like Olsen worked super hard to get to where he was. And now it's like, and you're demoted. Yeah. Well, uh-huh. there you go. Uh, by the of, way, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say real quick while we're on basketball, Mia, you may know this name, but congratulations to Claire Coyle. She reached 1,000 points yeah. tonight oh, as yeah. a crusader. Uh, Bishop Kenny was playing against Parker, but again, congratulations to Claire Coyle on reaching 1,000 career points for Bishop Kenny. So way to go, Congratulations. Claire. Absolutely. Um, this just reminded me of when you were, because you were just mentioning Brady, Tom Brady. And so he was on McAfee's show uh, earlier today. Has he taken over uh, Aaron Rodgers' paycheck on that <laughs> yeah, show? Maybe. Um, but they were talking about him starting to uh-huh. for his NFL broadcast. And But at one point in this, Tom Brady was talking about himself, and he was like, kind of going through his seasons of like the way things he was like you know I had a lot of championships but I was there was also a lot of monies I dealt a lot of moments where I didn't do the right things and I've got injured or this happened and this happened he was like I didn't have just like this clear path story like things kind of went a very original way for me and blah blah, blah. he was like I was an undrafted rookie and I was like no you weren't <laughs> you were drafted in the sixth round bro <laughs> Auto drafted, and I saw. I was listening to it. I'm like, did he? Re-? And I listened to it like four times. I was like, nope. He definitely said he was an undrafted rookie. Oh, Tom. <laughs> Maybe 
Maybe he does miss Giselle in his life, putting him in his yeah. place. All right, we've got one segment to go here on Helmets and Heels, driven by Tarot Lid on Tenton XL and 92.5 FM. Stilettos and Sabermetrics. Helmets and Heels, driven by Tire Outlet. Brought to you by Underwood Jewelers. And First Coast Lighting and Fans on 1010XL. By the way, another shout out. This is not to a specific person, but as we sit here on January 30th, only one more day for all of those partaking in dry January. Hey, or not partaking, hey, should I say? Right, but you applause. made it. <laughs> this has felt like I did not do it, so I'm not speaking from not you, from me. Whoever's but, listening and did it, but for yeah, it. for everyone who's listening and have and has made it, like congratulations. January is a long month. Mm-hmm. Here's how I can prove it to you: the Jaguars played a football game earlier this month. That feels like three months ago. <laughs> yep. And those poor February people. February is going to fly by, though. Yeah, absolutely, even though it's a leap year, so we have the extra day. But, yeah, and so congratulations, like I said, to everyone who stayed committed. You're almost there. The end is very near, <laughs> and uh, and you did it. Yeah, at least crazy. almost. Don't start drinking now. <laughs> Wait till It's kind of like when, this late. when the Peloton exactly. instructor says, you signed up for a 60-minute class, not a 56-minute class. It's uh, like that. See, the, the woman that I take the – YouTube classes from online, mm-hmm. whom I just love and I always rave about her. She always has this, not always, but in her longer workouts, she'll say, hey, if you need to go, this is going to be a bonus circuit. But if you need to, you know, if you need the shorter workout, if you have stuff to do, go ahead. You have my blessing, you know, go on with your life. So yeah. she's way nice. Oh, if you sign up for a 60 minute, you're, you're doing all 60. <laughs> you sign up for a Saturday 60, not a 45 minute workout. Hey, I mean, sometimes we need that motivation. All right, so Mia, what did you do this past Saturday with no football to watch? Ooh, uh, I called a college basketball game, was on the sidelines for the UNF women uh, on Thursday and then on Saturday. So that was- How did they do? uh, The Thursday game, a little bit better than the Saturday game. Saturday game was about a six-point ball game at the half. Really should have been a one-possession game. I thought the basket counted at the buzzer um, from Jayla Adams. I thought that was- that basket counted, and I was standing right there. But that's a story for another time. Mm-hmm. Um, but unfortunately, uh, yeah, Eastern Kentucky or Bellarmine, was it? Which Eastern Kentucky? They played Bellarmine on Thursday. One of the Kentucky schools yeah. ran away with it um, in the second half, unfortunately. Um, and then on Thursday, it was they. It was Eastern Kentucky on Saturday. It was Bellarmine on Thursday because they were zero and five in the A Sun, but three of their five losses were by like two points or less. And so you know. Erica Lambert, of course, friend of the program. Absolutely. Uh, she reminded me of that as well, so we need to have her on soon. Um, you know, she said, she's like, that's the last 0-5 team in, in America that we wanted to play. And uh, so they came back. They UNF led on Thursday night until the three-minute mark in the ball game remaining in the fourth quarter, and that's when Bellarmine pulled ahead um, for good. And so a tough 0-2 week for the ladies. But, yes, I, um, I, I did yoga. In the morning, went to my yoga class, which my instructor uh, was in person because she's moved now. So we do virtual yoga, but she was in town for teacher training. Um, So we had an in-person class, which was great. And then... uh, I have a friend who's a yoga teacher if you ever want another in-person yoga teacher. Love it. So yeah, drove to UNF. She's an Iowa State fan. Oh, okay. All right. Hey, well, listen. (laughs) I should warn you. She's probably very excited with Brock Purdy right now. Absolutely. So drove to UNF, did a yoga class, went home, drove back to UNF, did a basketball game. (laughs) Uh, I had dinner with some friends, which was fun. And uh, yeah, and then Saturday or Sunday was the real like chill, enjoy. This is why we live in Florida. I don't know about you, but like we got a seven mile walk in on Sunday nice. because we got home from golfing and we're like, well, we still got two hours before football. So got to 
The weather was gorgeous. Embrace on both days. it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A little windy on Sunday, uh, but definitely really nice and warm on Saturday. Taylor, you went on a boat? I did. I was on the boat Saturday. So that was. Did you say I'm perfect. on a boat at any I'm point in time? <laughs> Probably. We didn't <laughs> sing it. I don't think so. Um, it was actually a little bit of an adventure, extra adventure, because oh. it was the first time that it's my best friend's family's boat. First time they've taken it out since November, because obviously it's it's been a little chillier. Um, and so some one of the wires or something got like corroded from sitting. Oh, and it was something to do with the. Cl- I'm not a professional of this. Something to do with like <laughs> the gear and something else. So we were going to Palm Valley Outdoors. I mean, we were like five feet away and the boat just stopped like just turned off and shut off so what ended up happening was it got stuck between two gears because that cord got stuck uh-huh. and so we ended up fixing it out fixing it because one of my friend's dads has a couple boats and is good with he's had to fix certain things and I guess had to deal with this particular so you just floated we, it into the dock no we, so it honestly was a little sketchy for a minute because <laughs> when it stopped it we couldn't do anything so and it's a pontoon boat it's okay. bigger not like we could just like start rowing like a smaller boat. <laughs> and so it starts floating and we're floating towards a person's dock because there's a house like right to the left uh-huh. of it. And so we start floating towards that and we were all like, oh, no, we're going to crash. Luckily, there was like one of the no wake signs that have obviously the bottoms like big wood uh, pole technically. And so we ended up just floating right by that enough to where they could wrap a rope around it. And we just kind of tied ourselves to that until... We figured out the issue, ah, um, okay. which didn't, it wasn't super long. Honestly, we called my, our friend's dad, FaceTimed them. And within probably like 30 minutes they had figured it. And it was just us holding the phone up and being like, this is what the gear's doing. This oh, is wow. what this. Thank goodness he for FaceTime. I know. Yeah. And so we ended up figuring it out. So then we still went over to Palm Valley eight, got back on the boat. But then when we got back on the boat, we thought everything was fixed and fine, so we're going, but then all of a sudden the boat, like we're going normal speed, which it's a pontoon, so you're not going fast. <laughs> but it's I've usually been on like some 20, really 25. Slow pontoons. Yeah. It's usually like 20, 25 when you're cruising. And so it was go- it started there and went to like 13. And then it was like nine. Oh. And then seven. And she so Rachel, who was driving the boat, was like, something's wrong. Like that something's yeah. still not fixed. So we think that because of that cord or whatever, it's going to have to be replaced. Like we fixed it, wiggled it enough because that's what they had to do was like wiggle it enough because it got jammed. So I think that needs to be replaced. But we could only go like eight miles per hour all, <laughs> <laughs> all the way home. Luckily, it was perfect outside. So yes. I'm like, I was like, I have my drinks. I had boiled peanuts. I had sunshine. I'm good. Like perfect. I'm just hanging out. <laughs> boiled peanuts are the absolute best. I got some boiled <laughs> so peanuts good. at a produce stand called the County Line mm-hmm. on Sunday when we were coming back from uh, Salt Springs, and uh, they are just delectable. One time we were on a boat. This was a family's boat, family member's boat. We were scalloping, and the engine just cut off. And we're like, what the heck? That's not good, right? And out there, especially too in the summertime, there's can be storms that pop up. Long story short, my mom's cousin got the engine cover off. There was a bird's nest because <gasps> oh the God. boat had been sitting for long oh, enough. Yeah. An entire bird's nest under the cover of the engine. And so in order to get going, we had to release the bird's nest. Oh my gosh. Uh, Yep. Um, But we were able to find a spot for that and then we were able to get going. But there's so many different things. That's the tricky part about, especially saltwater or brackish water, Mm -hmm. which we have here. It's hard to keep the boat in really good shape all the time because yeah, you don't use it for a while and then it does uh, get that salt in the motor and things like that, which is why you're always supposed to rinse it out. 
Uh, I have never, you know, wanted to own a boat for as an no. adult for those reasons, I feel like, because there's so many things that can go wrong. But it was a gorgeous day, oh, so I'm glad you got to go on the boat. And y'all yes. already heard, uh, I went down to my friend's place in Salt Springs and had a good time. We just relaxed, had quesadillas, and then Love we it. went to Cactus Jack. <laughs> there Love we go. It. And I asked them, I was like, is there food at this place? And... Uh, besides the band and they were like yes one time we were there and they had a buffet of frog legs and I was like I'm sorry I will not be eating those <laughs> they're like you've never had frog legs you've got to try them I was like okay no the answer is still no and I was like this place has a buffet like to JJ's point earlier like it's like in the forest kind of thing mm-hmm. like I'm very confused this is fascinating I don't want to go now and it was really fun uh but she was like well the buffet is really just like aluminum pans filled with frog legs I was like, Gosh. okay, I've learned so much. I always like that. It has to be the tiniest amount of meat. Yeah, that's what I guess like bullfrogs, like really large bullfrogs yeah. have. Dec- I don't know. It sounded it sounded gross to me. Because <laughs> I hear about it and people are like, every time I've talked to someone, they're like, it doesn't taste bad, but you just don't get much out of it. But I guess that's kind of like a crab leg too. If you just get like snow crab, which I love. It's a lot of work for a little bit, right. but delicious. Yeah, crab, so if yeah. you love it, it's maybe Absolutely. worth it. Yeah, like stone crab, king crab, those are definitely worth it. But yeah. like blue crabs and the like. All right, let's say hello to Rick Ballou. Now, the two-minute drill brought to you by Tire Outlet. Tire Outlet is now hiring. Visit tireoutlet.com careers. Equal opportunity employer. Rick, what did you do on Saturday with your no football day? Didn't you play golf? Saturday, yeah, it was a big golf tournament. It was yeah. 28 of us over nice. at Cimarron. Yeah, it Heck was a fun yeah. time. It really was. So, uh, And it was one of the best weather days of the year. Mm-hmm. It really was. Absolutely insane. Sunday, too. Sunday yeah. was elite. Yeah, Sunday was a football day, but um, Saturday was just incredible. I, 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 I'm hoping to be that way again this weekend. Yeah, I don't think it'll be quite as warm, but either way. Uh, yeah. How did you play? I played, uh, I played pretty well. We played best ball. And uh, early on, I played well, but you know, I've got this—I don't know what I got. I got the vertigo or something that I've—I've I've seen every doctor in uh, in Jacksonville trying oh, to figure no. out what's going on. It's unbelievable. I mean, it's not a headache; it's just <clears throat> dizziness and lightheadedness, and it comes on quite a bit. But I noticed that after I drank a twelve-pack on the front nine, ah, to see the ball on the on front the, nine, <laughs> to see the ball on the back nine became pretty difficult for me. I can understand <laughs> that. So, um, but I think we were fourteen under. Okay. All right. uh, you know, in a best ball tournament. And Cimarron's done an unbelievable job. They've really improved everything there. Tita Green and that new clubhouse, indoors, outdoors. They had a band there. They had the fire pits going. So it ended up being a really good Saturday. No doubt about it. I had a fun day. You just had a one eye it at the, the yeah. back nine? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he had the, most of it on the front nine there. But it well, was a good time. I got my bad round of golf out for the month. So if, if you need an extra, just let me know. I, okay. I played Sunday at Palm Valley after. Ah. Uh, after shooting arguably my best round of the last two years up in St. Simons over New Year's, and I was like, the well. The par threes? Yeah. Yes. It's a beautiful par three on Jekyll. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and so I, I went to, uh, so had played that so mm-hmm. well. I mean, that's more of a, that's more of a, par, it's a nine-holer, but that, yeah. one, that one's more like par four, par five. No doubt. Uh, but yeah, played the par three this weekend, and I don't know if it was that rain from early morning on Sunday or the wind or what, but mm-hmm. yeah, that's uh, yeah, we got the bad one out of the way, Rick. So. There you go. Now I'm ready, so let me a know. A bad one on the, the golf course, though, is better than not playing at all. Ain't that the truth? So no doubt about that. And a lot of people actually think golf begins this week uh, with Pebble Beach. You know, a lot of people really tune into that pro am. And even though we just went through a couple of California courses now in Northern California, this is where for a lot of 
golf fans, this is where it really begins. So I love Pebble. It's a it's a phenomenal tournament. I do too. Weather's always a concern out there. That's true. Speaking of something else that opens, we didn't talk about this, but are you a NASCAR fan? You know, I went and even I had him fooled in Chicago where I would come back every year to to cover the Daytona right. 500, and I was there when Dale won. I was there when Dale died. Mm-hmm. I think I covered, and then when I, my relationship with Miller Lite, pre-COVID, every year they had a, a, a tent right behind Pitt Road. It was just incredible. And um, so I bet I've been to 25 Daytona 500s wow. in my life, but I've kind of fallen off the last couple okay. of years. I don't know why, but I was, you know, I was talking about the other day, I was looking at like the first couple of rows and I didn't even recognize the drivers. And that, that's, that's incredible to me. But no, to be honest, I've, I've kind of fallen on the wayside for the sport. Okay. Well, what will you be watching this upcoming weekend then? Uh, let's see. You know, we got the, uh, always the entertaining, bizarre NHL hockey weekend now with all those different pods and everything they do instead of just keeping like it the NBA way it wants to be. Season tournament? Yeah, it's okay. like 11 skaters, uh, you know, per team and, you know, shorter periods and then you advance to another round and I, I always thought it. the skill position contest was the best thing in the NHL. But I used to love the old games because no one played defense and the goaltenders would get peppered. It'd be like an 18-16 <laughs> hockey game, you know, but it, it, just to watch them uh, with their uh, incredible athleticism was kind of cool. So I uh, I don't really have anything planned sports-wise. I, I, I kind of hope the weather can be somewhat close to what it was last week so I can get back out and play some golf. All mm-hmm. right, there you go. What's coming up tonight, Rick? We got a lot of good stuff tonight. Uh, I, I was going to talk about it all day, but I just see it did come in now. It is official. Tom Brady is taking over the number one spot. Uh, it was expected. I mean, you're paying the guy, what, $37.5 million a year. So yeah. he's going to join Kevin Burkhart. But I... I think we're in a real interesting time right now where we have phenomenal play-by-play men. You know, maybe the best that we've ever seen. But there seems like there are so many complaints with the color analysts. So I kind of want to dive into that tonight. We always have great listeners here. After you on Tuesday, we'll get their opinion on it as well. So uh, we'll kick it off with a little bit of uh, television broadcasting. Sounds good. We'll be listening. Thanks, All right. Rick. Thank you. Who doesn't love talking sports media? <laughs> I know I do. I'm going to be listening. Absolutely. For Taylor Dahl, for me, O'Brien, for JJ Lasalva, I'm Lauren Brooks. Don't go anywhere. Keep it right here on 10 to the next 2.5 FM for Into the Night with Rick Ballou.